As we continue in our Advent series today, we will be on the topic of joy. And so John chapter 16, starting in verse 16. And as usual, once you have found your place there, I would encourage you to stand if you are able as we honor the reading of God's word. So John chapter 16, starting in verse 16. A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will see me. And again, a little while, and you will, excuse me, you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you were asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your holy word. And Lord, at this time of the year, we reflect especially on the word who became flesh and dwelt among us. And so we thank you for the eternal word, your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that as we consider your word this morning, and as we consider this theme of joy together, that God, you would stir up in our hearts great joy as we recall all that you have done for your people in and through Christ, who was sent to this world 2,000 years ago to the little town of Bethlehem and was born of a virgin. Lord, we pray that as we rehearse elements of that story this morning, that we would be Again, overflowing with joy, rejoicing in the goodness of our God. So minister to us and bless us now in your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, go ahead and grab a seat, please. And good morning, everyone. So we are talking about joy today, of course. And I know one person uh, here today is feeling especially jolly. And that's Pastor Ryan, because today is his birthday. So yeah, we can give him a round of applause. It's so weird that he, he asked that I would share that with all of you today and wanted me to tell you that he loves Amazon gift cards. I thought that was weird too. But anyway, happy birthday, Ryan. No, we're, we're blessed by Pastor Ryan and uh, just really grateful for the gifts that God's given to him and the way he uses them in this church. And so uh, we are joyful and celebrating with him today. You know, this is a pretty obvious statement, I think, for most of us, but um, every person does want joy. Every person does want to be happy. It's something that all of us are in pursuit of and always will be. We're looking for ways to increase our happiness and our joy. Uh, it's in this day and age, it's popular now to talk a lot about self-care. 
And that's become a really popular thing to discuss, kind of the ideas of learning to live a life with boundaries and pursuing hobbies and interests that are life-giving to you, uh, having a good diet, having good exercise, perhaps therapy, etc. And people are interested in those things. They want to increase their wellness and they want to increase their joy and their happiness. For the record, what you're doing right now Uh, is something that is great for your overall wellness and happiness. Research has consistently shown over the years that those who go to church are generally happier and report more consistently positive levels of mental health. Uh, There was a Gallup poll that was just released and basically was tracking these things here in 2020. And what they found is that in a year where most groups Uh, reported a decline in their overall mental health and well-being, those who attend church weekly actually reported a 4% increase in the midst of 2020. And so being connected to the local church, and I think even more foundationally, being connected to the Lord Jesus Christ uh, is great for our wellness and our well-being and our joy. But the bottom line is that people are looking for joy, people are looking for happiness, and people are trying to do the things in their lives that they think will maximize their joy. As Christians, we can acknowledge that there are many good things in the world that do contribute to our happiness, that do contribute to our joy, and that we delight in many wonderful good things throughout creation. We're people who are able to look at Genesis and see that after God created the world, after the sixth day, he looked out and surveyed all that he had done and his report, his assessment of the creation was that it was good. And so it should not surprise us as Christians that many people find pleasure and joy in all sorts of things in life. Uh, In fact, we learned this together in the book of Ecclesiastes, which we studied last year. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, King Solomon says this, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all of his toil. This is God's gift to man. So Solomon is reminding us that it is good and it is right for us to pursue joy and that things like a good meal or a good drink or our family, or our work. These are things that we can derive joy from. Unfortunately, though, life is not only filled with good things. Now that we're east of Eden, meaning that we have, or we're living on this side of Genesis chapter 3 in the fall of our first parents, we live in a world that is not just full of pleasant and good things. We're living in a world where our joy is tempered by sorrow. We're living in a world where we experience things like grief and loss and sorrow and lament. And so while it is good for us to look for and derive joy from the good things in creation, it can also be dangerous. And we need to be aware of that. That to look to this creation and the good things in this creation to be our source of joy can be dangerous. It can be dangerous to put too much stock in those things. Why? Well, the answer is this. Everything that we derive joy from within the creation is unstable. Everything. 
Think about it. Money and possessions can be lost. Relationships can end. Good health can turn bad. A loved one can die. I could go on and on. Everything in creation that makes us happy, that produces joy in us is unstable. It's not secure. It's temporary. And so what we need, if you and I hope to be a truly joyful people, is we need a source of joy that transcends the circumstances of our lives. We need a source of joy that cannot be taken away. Now, the only thing in all of the universe that is big enough and robust enough to shoulder the weight of those expectations is God himself. And in the scriptures, what we find is that God himself is eager and willing to offer himself to you to satisfy your desire for joy forever. Psalm 1611, this is one of my favorite verses in the the Bible, goes like this. David writes, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. What a beautiful verse. David is able to to, to say to us, as he was even saying to his own soul, that our joy reaches its climax in the presence of God. That our our, our joy reaches its fullness when we are in God's presence. So yes, joy can be had in other places and there's nothing wrong with that. But you can never experience fullness of joy, complete joy, outside of the presence of the Lord. This is what you were created for. If we go back again to the beginning and we go to the creation account in the garden, where Adam and Eve had unobstructed experience of God's presence, they were in perfect peace and perfect joy. Everything was awesome, and they were overflowing and abounding in joy. So what you and I need is we need to be in God's presence if we would have joy. And we would be in God's presence if it wasn't for this little pesky thing called sin. Once you get to Genesis chapter 3, sin begins to destroy everything. Sin creates separation between sinful Adam and Eve and a holy and righteous God. And that separation and that alienation begins to destroy every good thing in creation. And now all of a sudden, because of sin, Adam and Eve are living in a world where there is suffering and there is pain and there is hard work that is difficult rather than just rewarding. And there is loss and there is death. And so this is what sin has done. Sin has destroyed, it has separated, and it has robbed us of our joy. So in order for us to be in God's presence once again, he needed to come be present with us. And so at Christmas, we celebrate the coming of Emmanuel, God with us. 
And I want you to know this morning that the breaking in of the creator into his creation 2,000 years ago was the breaking in of sustaining joy. In Luke chapter 2, as we read the announcement of the, she- of the angel to the shepherds, listen to the announcement in verse 10. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So the, the angel says to the shepherds, I'm bringing good news of great joy. And what is this good news of great joy? The very next verse, verse 11 tells us, the angel says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. That's the good news. That brings great joy. Now, oftentimes we call the good news the gospel because that's what that word literally means. And the good news of the gospel is the news of what God has done for us through Christ, through sending Jesus to the earth. In Jesus, we have a Savior. Because that baby that was born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, God literally incarnate or enfleshed, that baby would grow up and live a perfectly righteous life. Think about that. Never once having a wrong thought. Never once disobeying God's law. Never once feeling that temptation to sin in some way and actually yielding to it and giving in. Never once his entire life, he perfectly fulfilled the law that you and I could not fulfill. And then voluntarily laid down his life on the cross as a sacrifice for the sins of his people. And on the cross, he absorbed the wrath of God, the just judgment of God against sin, but not his sin, your sin and my sin. And three days later again, he rose from the grave, triumphing over death itself so that death could no longer have power over us. This is the good news that brings great joy. News that in Jesus, your sins can be completely forgiven. Your sins can be buried in the depths of the ocean. The good news that because Jesus has dealt with your sin on the cross, if you trust in him, that you can now be reconciled to God. And as I mentioned a minute ago, that's the solution to joy, is being in God's presence, having relationship with God. And that's what Jesus has accomplished. Because we are in right relationship with God through Christ, we will have eternal life. God is the source of our joy. Sin severed our joy. And the Savior secured our joy. What good news we have in Jesus. What great news we have in Jesus that he has reconnected every person who receives him as Lord to God the Father so that they can experience fullness of joy. Does God want you to be happy? Absolutely. More so than you do. And God has done everything necessary to secure for you eternal and fullness of joy. This is the good news that you and I have to share during this season, friends, to a world that is a weary world, as the Christmas hymn goes, but in Christ, it's a weary world rejoicing. And I want to just encourage you, this is 
an aside for a moment, but I just want to encourage you that even though we're in the middle of a pandemic, I want you to be praying about who you could invite to our Christmas Eve service. We're going to be doing our Christmas Eve service at 4 p.m. It's going to be an outdoor service, so it'll be safe just like this service. But we want to encourage you, be praying about somebody that you can invite who perhaps will come to this service and hear this good news. Oftentimes you hear about the CEO Christians, the Christmas and Easter only Christians, right? They're willing to come twice a year. Sure, I'll show up. It's Christmas. I'll go to a church service. I heard about two college students who went to the Christmas service at their church. And after the service was over, the pastor was standing at the exit of the church and he was shaking hands and greeting people as they left. And as the students walked out, the old preacher shook one of their hands and he pulled them aside and he looked at him and he said, son, it's time for you to join the Lord's army. And the young man was caught off guard and he said, but I'm already a part of the Lord's army. The preacher said to him, then why don't I ever see you at church except for on Easter and Christmas? The young man thought for a moment and then he whispered, I'm in the secret service. Now there's lots of people like that. They kind of come out of the woodworks this time of the year. They're willing to come to church. And that's great. We should leverage that opportunity and we should be a people knowing that we have this good news of great joy for all peoples. We should be wanting to share it. And again, I would encourage you, let's invite people to come and hear the gospel and perhaps receive Christ by faith. Well, we can understand why the announcement of the birth of Christ was an announcement of great joy. And now we understand that in Christ, we have a basis for joy that is big enough and sturdy enough to sustain our joy no matter what. And this is precisely what Jesus promised to his disciples in John 16. Here in John 16, Jesus is in the upper room with the disciples. This is on the Passover. This is on the night that Jesus is going to be betrayed. And Jesus is in the upper room and he's talking with the disciples and Jesus knows what is around the corner. He knows that within a matter of hours, he's going to be arrested. He knows that he's going to go through a mock sham of a trial that night. And he knows that within less than 24 hours, he is going to be nailed to the cross. He knows things are going to get worse before they get better. And so Jesus in the upper room here in John 16 is preparing the disciples for what's about to come. Look again at verse 16. A little while, Jesus says, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So Jesus is saying, in just a little bit, you're not going to see me anymore. Right? They're going to arrest him. They're going to take him away from his followers. And they're going to nail him to a cross and they're going to stick him in a tomb. And the disciples are no longer going to see Jesus. So he's telling them that. And he says, but a little while longer and you will see me again. Jesus knows that after he's nailed to that cross, after he's stuck in that tomb, that three days later, the father is going to raise him up and that he will be alive and that he will be seen once again by the disciples. In verse 17, we read, so some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And because I am going to 
the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. So the disciples are confused by what Jesus is saying. They don't know what he means. They, they feel like he's speaking in kind of cryptic language. They just don't have a category for this. They're expecting Jesus to overthrow Rome. They're expecting Jesus to establish the kingdom of God now. And Jesus knows that. And so Jesus is preparing the disciples. So they're confused. But Jesus knew they were confused. We see that in verse 19. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, Is this what you are asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me and again a little while and you will see me? Bingo. That's exactly what they were talking about. Verse 20, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Now, Jesus understood that, again, the disciples are living in a world that is marked by loss and suffering and pain and grief. And Jesus knew that when they took him away and they crucified him on that cross, that these followers of his were going to respond that way, that they would lament, that they would have grief, that they would be filled with sorrow, just like Jesus knows that right now in this life, you and I, as his followers, experience loss and sorrow and grief and lament. But Jesus makes them a promise. He says, but your sorrow will turn into joy. And then Jesus gives an illustration, gives a picture for us to understand our suffering. And the picture is that of a pregnant woman going into labor. He says in verse 21, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Jesus is saying, think about that process. When a woman is going into labor and she's experiencing the most intense physical suffering probably of her life, pain that is unimaginable, probably even wondering, will I survive this? This is that bad. And there is so much pain and so much suffering and so much sorrow. And then Jesus says, but there's a moment when a shift happens. The moment the baby is actually born, what takes place is that all of the suffering and all of the pain and all of the misery is eclipsed by the inexpressible joy that she now has because she is holding her precious baby. And Jesus says, so it is for you as my disciples. In verse 22, he says, so also you have sorrow now. But I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. I don't know about you, friend, but that's, that's what I want. I want a joy that nobody can take away from me. And as I mentioned earlier, if we're attaching our joy to something other than God himself, it will be taken away from you. The only thing that can sustain our joy and give us a resilient joy like Jesus is talking about is Jesus himself. 
So that if we have him, we can have this unshakable joy. This is awesome. A joy that no one can take from you. Well, guess what? The disciples saw the risen Christ. He appeared to them. And what we read as we continue reading the New Testament is we read of a group of people who did exactly what Jesus prophesied. The moment Jesus was taken away and executed, they were filled with grief and sorrow and lamenting. But Christ returned to them and all of a the sudden they were filled with inexplicable joy. Inexplicable unless there was in fact a resurrection and Jesus did appear to them. In Acts chapter 5, some of you will recall that the early church, the apostles are arrested, not for stealing, not for murder, not for some heinous thing. They were arrested for preaching about Jesus in the city of Jerusalem. And here's what we read in Acts chapter 5, starting in verse 40. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Arrest, beating, all of that could not at all extinguish their joy. They left rejoicing after that happened because they knew that they belonged to Jesus Christ. That's a resilient joy. That's the kind of joy that James had in mind when he wrote in his epistle, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now, if you don't know Jesus, that's a bizarre statement. Is he a glutton for punishment and suffering and pain? Count it all joy when you experience trials? No, nobody wants trials. Nobody says, sign me up for trials. But James is saying, listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, you could actually interpret even trials in your life through a, through a grid that produces joy. He goes on to say in the very next verse, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Christian joy is rooted in the fact that this life that we're living right now is temporary. Our sufferings will not last forever and they have a purpose. And one day, we will be swept up in eternal joy in the unobstructed presence of God. Put differently, Christian joy is secure now because of our future. A future where God's love will overcome all of our sorrows and God's presence will satisfy all of our desires. When you fast forward to the end of the book, the book of Revelation, and you get that glimpse of the End of all of human history. This is exactly what we find. Revelation 21, 1 through 5. John the apostle says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Verse four, 
He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. How does the story end? For those of us that are in Christ, the story ends with God eliminating every single thing that right now threatens your joy. Pain, suffering, mourning, tears, and death. God does away with all of it. So that all we experience for the rest of eternity is fullness of joy in his presence and pleasures forevermore at his right hand. Now we can see why joy is one of the themes of Advent. The arrival of Jesus, our Savior, was the arrival of unspeakable joy. For those who want true, lasting joy, they need to look no further than in Jesus himself. Now this might seem like a good spot to just kind of end the message. Right, that's kind of like the crescendo right there. We just reached the high point. We looked at the end of time. Everything's awesome. Things are wonderful. Pastor Beeks gets quiet, prays, and we're done. But as wonderful as this news is, some of us, and I'm talking about Christians, are struggling now to experience this joy. It can almost sound like what I'm saying to you is that Christians should always only feel happy, like we are a clown with a perpetual smile painted on our face. There's a reason why clowns are creepy, right? That, that would be creepy if all you ever had, no matter what happened in your life, was a smile. The fact of the matter is that just as Jesus pointed out with his disciples 2,000 years ago, in this life, we are all experiencing sorrow and hardship and highs and lows and some among our ranks descend even deeper than that to places of depression and despair. And what's, what's, what can be a struggle and what's so challenging for brothers and sisters who are struggling with sadness right now, or worse, is that if you're a Christian, you know that you ought to be joyful, and yet you're not. And so a sermon like this can come across to you as just another Christian cliche where we say, hey, everything's awesome and everything should be awesome and we should all be filled with joy. And then you say, but I'm not, so what's wrong with me? And this is why I love the Lord and I love his word because he has something to say to us about that too. What's wrong with you? The same thing that's wrong with all of us. We're not there yet. And so the Bible is realistic and we're told as Christians that when we suffer, we are sorrowful yet always rejoicing, 2 Corinthians 6.10. And that's the paradox. That in this life, because we are human, we are sorrowful at times. We are sad. Things hurt us. And we can embrace that and we can understand that and we can receive that because we are living in a world where suffering still exists. So don't be surprised when you feel that even as a Christian. 
As Christians, we can embrace our pain and our sorrow as real and worthy of evoking that kind of a reaction. Yet here's the key. Here's the paradox for us as Christians is that even as we embrace sorrow, even as we embrace pain, we simultaneously experience an underlying joy knowing that even these sorrows will be gathered up by the boundless love of Christ and overcome by eons and eons of inexplicable joy. Paul had this notion in mind when he could look at his immense sufferings and say this, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. See, Paul was able to keep this balance, this tension. He could be sorrowful when he suffered and yet always be rejoicing and therefore he would not lose heart. So as Christians, we have a joy that cannot be taken away from us. But that doesn't mean that we always feel that joy at the level of our experience. So what can we do about that? Is there hope for us? Is there a way to experience more and more of that joy that is actually ours in Christ? The answer is yes, we can progress. After all, joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And the way that we progress is in the Holy Spirit. As we learn to keep in step with the Spirit in greater and greater degrees, we will more fully experience the joy that is ours in Christ. Okay, Daniel, that sounds nice, but what does that actually look like practically? Let me put it to you this way. Our ability to experience fullness of joy is directly related to how skilled we become in yielding our hearts and our minds to the Holy Spirit. Rehearsing the good news of great joy that stunned the world 2,000 years ago. Namely the news that in Christ our past is forgiven and in Christ our future is secure. The better that we get by God's grace at yielding to the Spirit and allowing the Spirit to announce that good news to us more and more often, more and more consistently, more and more frequently, the more that we will find that even as we sorrow, we have this under-the-surface joy that can't help but continue to bubble up. There is no quick fix to our progress in joy. Just like our progress in any other area of our spiritual life. There's no quick fix. It is a slow process. And all of us have different starting points. And all of us are going to achieve different levels of growth in this particular fruit of the Spirit. Just like other fruit of the Spirit. But there is growth to be had. But again, there's no quick fix. So be patient with yourself, friend. You and I are still in the body. We're still racked with human frailty and weakness. We're still battling with sin and temptation. We're still struggling with bodies and minds that don't work exactly how they ought to. We're still feeling the effects of the fall from Genesis chapter 3. 
So don't be overly discouraged if at times your sorrow completely obscures your joy. Continue leaning into the Spirit and the good news that he speaks to your heart, the news that God loves you, that Christ died for you, and that the Holy Spirit will carry you to the finish line. And keep laying hold of these truths with whatever measure of faith you have. This week, I was reading a short work by John Calvin, and I found these words to be so encouraging to me. Calvin writes, Let us keep trying so that we might continually make some gains in the way of the Lord. And neither let us despair over how small our successes are. For however much our successes fall short of our desire, our efforts aren't in vain when we are farther along today than yesterday. Calvin is saying, look, it's about continuing to press on. It's about slow, incremental growth in the spirit year after year, decade after decade. And family, one day in the not too distant future, our faith will give way to sight. And like the first disciples 2,000 years ago, when we see him, your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Let's pray. Father, we this morning rejoice once again in the good news of what you have done for your people. You created us to experience fullness of joy in your presence. And we're the ones who messed that up. And it's not as if we just messed it up as a human race at one point way back in the beginning. Each of us have messed up our own experience of joy over and over and over again through the many decisions that we've made to choose to disobey your commands and your law, which are meant to bless us and bring about joy. And we've said no to that. And we've chosen to rebel and to be disobedient and to lead ourselves into many places that have been miserable in our own lives. And despite all of that, you would not let your people experience eternal misery and ruin. Instead, 2,000 years ago, God, you stepped into creation yourself, becoming a man born of the virgin. And you came here on a rescue mission, Jesus, to save us and deliver us from our sins, the destroyer of joy, and to reconcile us back to our Father in heaven so that we could once again experience fullness of joy forevermore. Holy Spirit, we would ask that this Advent season and for the rest of our lives that you would continue to just play that gospel good news of great joy on repeat in our minds and our hearts. That no matter what is going on in our life, that we'd be able to embrace the hardship and and sorrow and experience those emotions. But that Holy Spirit, you would constantly remind us of this message, and it would secure our joy in Christ. God, we love you. Thank you for loving us. We worship you today, and we rejoice in your goodness toward us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.